the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. How does someone who appears to have it all experience a horrific fall from grace? Today's guest, Nadia Davis, has been a public figure in California for two decades. She grew up the daughter of a famous immigrant rights attorney and later became the wife of the then state attorney general. Her rise crashed in a drama-filled public fall that included drug abuse, a sex tape, blackmail, incarceration, and many years of recovery as a mother and a woman. Nadia joins us today to discuss her journey of healing. Nadia is an attorney who has received numerous awards for her work, including the John F. Kennedy Jr. Service Award. She is the author of the book, Home is Within You, A Memoir of Recovery and Redemption. Welcome, Nadia. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me and for what you do. Thank you for that, Nadia. In your life, you have certainly experienced some of the highest highs and some of the lowest lows. Can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing and what led you to become an attorney? Absolutely. I grew up in a busy household, the youngest of seven, seven kids within a nine-year span. And I had the blessing of a culturally diverse family. My mother is a German citizen, an immigrant from Germany, and grew up during the war. And she met my father here while visiting her sister. My father is Native American and Hispanic and was an orphan field worker who overcame many, many challenges to become himself an attorney, a bridge builder amongst social, political divides. And I admired him from afar and admired his unhealthy, self-medicating ways as a child. And he was my hero. And from a very early age on, I had just an instinct that I wanted to help people and save the world. And a variety of different little projects um, from live aid to canned food drives to many different things that helped me have a sense of worth and identity um, taking me out from a very disassociated state and existence that set in stone in this survivalist mind of ours. And from an early age, I was sexually molested by a doctor and then had some racial bullying at the same time. And at the time, I did not realize the imprint that was set in stone in my head of a, it wasn't literal, but it was like a dirty little brown girl. And my instinct was, well, okay, you know, I'll, I'll prove them wrong. And that carried me through, you know, um, much of my life balancing those two things. And that set of mental intrigues brought me through high school um, with a lot of awards, a lot of accolades. And I went to UCLA, a sociology major with a minor in juveniles and, just, and justice. And there, a violent rape led me to a further uh, disassociated state, uh, struggled with some controlled eating and not 
filling myself with enough nutrition. That went away. Um, I entered law school in my father's footsteps, following on his inspiration. And when he abruptly passed away, a whole other set began. You spent a, a great deal of your early years becoming an overachiever, trying to prove everyone wrong. But at the same time, you were dealing with these these challenges of these traumas that had damaged your self-esteem and who you were. When did those two areas really go into conflict? When this overachiever started to see the signs of the damage that had been inflicted upon you? You know, I believe that the alcoholic drinking began when my father passed. Mm -hmm. And my father had an aura about him, a warmth, a just a whole entire approach to life that was very much my inspiration. And when he passed away, all faith in the world just went out the window and I could not see good. And the core of me was so separated from what our core innocence is that it was really that time where it, it really got, very disassociated. Now, at the same time, following in his footsteps, helping others, I was representing a wrongfully convicted kid. I was president of Santa Ana School Board. I was working on, you know, prevention of teen pregnancy and had all these causes, received state and national awards, and I was in my element. And so I was being filled with the outside while all this stuff was going on inside. My father abruptly passed away of a heart attack, and shortly thereafter, I was in a near-death car accident. Shortly after that, my best friend died. And so it was just one thing after another, not knowing how my mind was working, not knowing how to deal with 22 broken bones, having not been breathing for however many minutes I was dead when they found me. And then the death of my best friend, who was the one I had turned to, it was really right after that where the drinking dramatically increased, yet I was holding it all together. And that I met my, my ex-husband. So to the outside world, you had this life that most people would be envious of, but internally it was like having a lid put on a pressure cooker. It was just waiting to yeah. erupt. Yeah. And, you know, when we talk about, I love the title, Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. I believe that we first have to realize that our attitude is what we define it. It's not what anyone else says, oh, you have this attitude, you have a bad attitude, or, or you should have a better attitude. I believe, you know, any anything that anyone says or does is either an act of love or a cry for it. And that when we are triggered, there's opportunities to dig deeper and do and set aside time in our own time to lift the layers that block us from a court innocence that we all are. And what was your marriage like? What was your state at that time? So I was exposed to a drug and on early on, and I got pregnant, and I was pregnant when we married, and it was a public announcement of a marriage that I hadn't really digested or made a decision about. And that I had to survive and embrace and go along kind of with the flow of, of a very, very uh, public branding of who I was. I left all of my work, all of my identity and everything and really just focused on my son. I knew that I was having a boy. And as soon as I knew that I was pregnant, I knew with every single part of this body and my soul that this child was meant to be. And so my focus was through the innocence of his soul in me, yet the household really was void of emotional connection and um, a bonding. But again, I did not know what that was. And so I did not know what that felt like. And so my focus was really creating an ambiance that remained calm that uh, nurtured my ex-husband's very demanding role. And our bonding really happened in the special moments with our son, who we both adored. And I can say my ex-husband has been a long 
committed father to all of our children. So after you had your first child, how long then until everything really began to unravel? It was short in the marriage where I began self-medicating to manage the outside triggers that were coming in from my husband, as well as the public uh, perception of just merely being the wife of, the the younger wife of, and the gold digger or whatever else was being said. When I knew, even though I was disassociated, I knew what my truth was and my motivation. And I felt that, okay, you know, as long as my role as a mother, as long as, you know, my ex is, is calm and happy, when I started being unable to manage my triggers was probably um, at about three years in the marriage. And I began having flashbacks from the childhood molestation. And when I mentioned it, the focus became how my response was affecting my ex-husband. And I felt guilty. And so it just further manifested into, okay, the fight, fight, freeze, but absolutely more so the appease mode and just go along with this. And more and more, it just kept building up to the point and the chronic pain would come in. I was unaware of how the pain somatically was triggering flashbacks. And so there came a point when I realized, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm drinking too much. I am running for higher office. I'm running this major county family justice center that I love that job. And yet this is, this is becoming, you know, what we call in the program, unmanageability. And so at that point I reached out for help at Kaiser. And that is where I met a gentleman that I believed had my best interest in mind. And he didn't. And Nadia, before you reached out for help, and I want to talk about the recovery in a moment, what was your lowest point? What were you experiencing when you hit rock bottom? It was about five years after that. I hit rock bottom later mm-hmm. when relapses resulted in separation from my children when I needed to go and get help. I believe that psychologically, the bond of my mind and having no skills to break free from the bond of my mind, that that journey, thankfully, began at the point after I was assaulted and exploited by a man that I met where I sought to get help. I, I know now today through first getting physical safety and then entering 12-step recovery, but most importantly through trauma work, that our minds are survivalists. They're reptilian in nature, and they're merely helping us survive. Mm-hmm. And what I call them is attack thoughts. They're not defects. Um, I did not learn that until until later, until probably it was 2017, where it really, truly was my rock bottom. I, I had done the work. I had had sobriety. I was separated from my husband. And with my children and the triggers from a variety of different things, I picked up a drink. I did not continue drinking, but the ramifications were multiple in terms of a a variety of things. I had to go get trauma treatment, major trauma therapy. And at that point, that is where I learned to really list the layers and connect to the core innocence of what we all are. I believe that our mind sends attack thoughts and it separates us from our true self and each other. And at the core of that is fear and judgment and shame and shaming. And so much of the work that I do today, I call it advocating for our spirit, but you know, what we have been taught to feel shame about or in ourselves is what we feel vulnerable about. Human connection requires vulnerability. Reaching out for help requires us to be vulnerable, to share something risky. And so I fight today for identification of these attack thoughts that we can have self-compassion. We can tune into our true self, connect with our original core innocence. And that leads to a whole bunch of other beautiful things in our interactions with others. 
Mm -hmm. So many of us, Nadia, we look externally for love and validation and acceptance. And is that what the book title means, Home is Within You, that it's an inside job? It is within us. And when we can first breathe and feel safe in our body, if we're at a point where our bodies are actually reacting, that is the first step to find that safety within. And this is also what I teach my children. When we can sit and tune in to what that original spark was that created all of it. You don't have to call it, I call it it. And this is where Kundalini helps. There's no religion required, no God name required, nothing. It simply is the spark that created your first being. When we breathe and we can just sit in that, we can become more aware of our attack thoughts and find a home. Home is supposed to feel warm, safe, free of judgment, free of fear. And we do try and create it within our four walls, but home is within you is about something far more divine. Mm -hmm. I agree, Nadia, because we spend so much of our lives looking out there for something to mm -hmm. make us feel fulfilled and important. But you're absolutely right. It's something very deep within us. We all have it. Yes. Everybody has it because it, that is our true source. We came from it. When I began on my journey of trauma recovery, my therapist, who am I still have said to me, you are not a body. If you're not your body, you're not your thoughts. And it upset me because I said, well, of course I'm a body. This body got me, you know, to do all these different things. And, and it got me here. But what she showed me was a circle that is our, our true selves and then a pie piece of our mind and how our mind separates us and that our true core innocence, that circle is really surrounded by a huge heart, that that is our true core innocent self. And if we can somehow be in tune with it and have some balance and create a home in that circle, knowing our true self, balancing it throughout the day, life becomes much more, much more manageable. And we can also observe when others are projecting their own fears and judgments onto us, but it all starts within. Nadia, when a person is in pain and, and dealing with different types of challenges in his or her life, we often feel like we're alone. You know, we don't like to reach out for help. And one of the things that I love is that you say asking for help makes you a hero. Why do you believe that's the case? Asking for help makes you a hero because you are embracing vulnerability, knowing, knowing the source of the shame that is causing that vulnerability. When we reach out for help, you are setting that shame and vulnerability off. Reaching out for help is validating the core worth that you are connecting to within that is coming from an infinite source. Something in there is calling you and you are listening to it. Reaching out for help connects people. And when we share our stories and our struggles with each other, that will enable healing. And Nadia, what do you say to someone to help that person get started on a healing journey? I say, sit quietly somewhere or wherever you're at and start breathing deeply to first feel safe in your body. And when we talk about mindfulness, mindfulness is a big word. But once we start through breath work to feel safe in our bodies, we can start to watch the thoughts. They don't go away. Shame will come in and our minds will fight us. But this is where we say, I am not a body nor the thoughts my mind makes. And we just observe. Ultimately, more and more breath work can lead to a quieter mind. It can lead to a connection to something beyond all of this physical life. But the first step is really just finding that calm and that home, that home within you through breath work. And you will find a way to reach out for help. The book is Home is Within You, a memoir of recovery and redemption. If you'd like to get more information about Nadia and her work, you can visit Nadia-Davis.com. 
Nadia, thank you so much for joining us. I, I can't agree with you more. Home is within you. And I know that you've been through some really horrific challenges in your life, but I am very happy that you have been here to share this time with us today and to share some of the lessons that you've learned. You are definitely changing lives. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much. One of the most important benefits is how this is preventing generational trauma. So when we start within, it has a multitude of waves out to those we love in our circles and around us. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path, personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. Hi, this is Joan Herman. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, tips to be a successful sought-after radio and podcast guest, I provide information that will empower you to make the most of any media appearance. To learn more, visit joanherman.com slash media training. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. Joining us for this week's To Your Health is Dr. Christopher Inzarillo, the Chair of Orthopedics for Bergen Newbridge Medical Center. Dr. Inzarillo is a fellowship-trained orthopedic surgeon who specializes in sports-related knee, shoulder, and elbow injuries. Welcome, Dr. Inzarillo. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. So, Doctor, as the weather gets warmer, many people decide to start an exercise routine or they're just taking part in more warm weather activities. What are the most common orthopedic injuries that you see? So, uh, when the weather does warm up, people tend to get a little bit more active. They come out of their hibernation stage. Uh, so w- what we tend to see a lot of are overuse injuries, uh, common sprains and strains just from maybe getting a little out of shape uh, or trying to get back into physical activity way too quickly. So in the knee, what we tend to find are irritations or inflammations, particularly of the, the kneecap. Uh, sometimes if there's a twisting injury, we could get something called a meniscal tear. Those are quite common. Um, in the shoulder, if we're doing a lot of overhead work, we tend to get tendonitis or uh, conditions called bursitis, we, which are inflammatory inflammations of the shoulder. And same thing in the elbow. We get a tennis elbow or golfer's elbow, which are irritation inflammations from heavy use. Talking about the things that may develop over time, the type of overuse injuries, how do they usually present? So the most common presentation is pain. Okay, so a, a joint that hurts, uh, if it's in the lower extremity, it may cause limping or difficulty walking or going up and down stairs. If it's in the upper extremity, it usually also presents with pain, but it Typically, the pains tend to be more common at night with sleeping for, for whatever reason in the upper extremity or with uh, use of that joint. Are some of these types of injuries able to heal on their own? Uh, yes. Yes, most, most are, um, with the exception of maybe a meniscus tear in the, in the knee. But a lot of these conditions are overuse. So with the proper rest, uh, a therapy exercise program that's directed specifically for that problem, and some anti-inflammatory medicine, the vast majority of these will get better. And so what would be the signs that would indicate to someone that maybe this isn't going to heal on its own and that they should seek medical attention? So I think it's a matter of time. When, when you develop pain in a certain area, that, that's just common. We, we all hurt various places at various times. If the pain is present for a week straight, two weeks straight, I think at that point you should start considering uh, an evaluation, okay? Um, and certainly, the longer the pain is there without the natural history getting better, more than two to three weeks, I think is a reasonable amount of time to seek an opinion. And I know each case would be individualized to a particular person, but in general, how would these types of injuries be treated? So we always start with a, with a history. Um, it sounds simple, but I can usually tell what's going on just by the patient's description. 
then we'll do perform a physical exam to see where the patient hurts, certain maneuvers to elicit the pain. And usually a plain x-ray is typical for a first orthopedic consultation. And that's more to see if there's good alignment of the bone, um, is there any pre-existing arthritis, um, or any um, calcifications or other degenerative changes. Is surgery usually a, a last course of treatment when you've tried everything else first? Sure, absolutely. So we always, I mean, unless something is a limb-threatening or life-threatening injury, which most, most sports injuries are not, it's appropriate to initiate non-surgical treatment for just about every problem. Uh, usually that will entail some simple uh, medicines to bring down inflammation, such as steroids or anti-inflammatory medicines, combined with some physical therapy. For those who are busy, we, we, we can give a home-directed exercise program and ice uh, and rest. And that, that would be a standard first-line treatment for most injuries. So the, the time that you may consider becoming a little bit uh, more aggressive might, if, if the pain is persistent for greater than six to eight weeks, despite trying to treat it appropriately with the non-surgical treatment, that's really the time frame where we might consider operative intervention. And doctor, we've been talking about injuries, but what about the types of pain that people experience just from aging that might be related to arthritis or other types of degenerative disease. What would that look like and, and how would that best be treated? So, you know, arthritis, which is a inflammation of the bone and cartilage of a joint, could be any joint, could be, you know, knee and hip are most common, but we also see in the elbow and the ankle and the wrist. Uh, it, it, it's a normal part of aging. So we do see it more and more. And with our society getting older, arthritis is a more common diagnosis that we see. Same thing with the sports injuries. The most common presentation is pain combined with stiffness. The typical arthritic joint will hurt and you'll start losing range of motion in that joint. And so as far as prevention, and I want to kind of divide it up because we've been talking about injuries and then arthritis, how can we prevent injuries and, and what can we do then to also mitigate the damage of arthritis? So I think preventing of injury is, um, if we're talking about athletic injuries, it's really technique. And I, I, what I also think is important is, is not just doing the same thing day after day after day. Uh, it, I'm a big fan of having my patients cross-train, you know, bike one day, run the next, ellipsocycle a third day. And, and so you're, you're mixing up the forces that the joint is seeing as opposed to just doing the same repetitive activity time after time after time. Uh, so I think mixing up what you do, throwing in a day of yoga here or um, maybe a day of rest, it, mixing up what forces the body sees is, is helpful to prevent. The other one I would say is, is a patient's weight, all right? We, we see a lot of uh, uh, folks who are overweight, if not obese, and that extra force on the joint is going to take its toll, you know, not in a year, but over five to 10 years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, that's something that's, you know, it's, it's difficult for patients to, um, to get a hold of, but it, it, it's, a, it's also a significant problem. How important is stretching to a, a warm-up, but also to aging? I think it's very important. Uh, what stretching does is it increases the range of motion that our joints see. So a very stiff person, let's just take the, the worst-case scenario, who has a very poor range of motion, is only using one little part of a joint. Think of it like a tire that's only running on one side. It's going to wear down quicker than if someone stretches every day and has an excellent range of motion, they use the entire surface. So the surface will wear less quickly. So I think stretching is important uh, for joint health, but also we'll find that muscle sprains and strains and tendonitis tend to be less common in folks who are flexible than those who are stiff. And doctor, tell us a little bit about the services that Newbridge offers. So we, um, from, from a musculoskeletal standpoint, we have specialists in 
uh, back and neck pain, uh, pain management, uh, podiatry, foot and ankle surgery. You know, I um, you know do m- uh, a lot of the orthopedics, uh, hip, knee, shoulder, ankle. Uh, we have you know an excellent uh, surgical program if that's what's needed. Uh, we also do a lot of the non-operative treatment that we talked about physical therapy, occupational therapy uh, as well. And if our listeners would like to get more information, you can visit newbridgehealth.org. Dr. Nzarillo, thank you so much for joining us. You're so welcome. We'll be right back. This is WNYF, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. When most people say menopause, they mean more than just the end of female reproductive functions. Menopause to many means the beginning of an array of physical and emotional issues, leading women to dread that time of life. Joining us today to offer a different perspective on menopause is Michelle Wispoway and Kristen Mallon, co-founders of Femgevity, a digital telemedicine company that offers women access to personalized care that addresses their evolving menopause symptoms. Welcome, Michelle and Kristen. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Joan. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. So, Kristen, let's begin with you. What happens in a woman's body during menopause? Well, menopause is really just one day, medically speaking. It's really just the day that you've gone for 12 months without having a menstrual cycle. And perimenopause is really the years leading to that point. And then postmenopause is the time after that. So there's a lot of different things that are going on in women really starting around the late 30s. Their progesterone starts to go down. Their DHEAS starts to go down. Their AMH level starts to decrease. Follicular count starts to decrease. And they kind of have this very kind of slow decline, similar to what men experience when they lose testosterone over decades with those hormones. When they get to the year before they have no period, this is when we can really see erratic changes in estrogen, specifically up and down and pretty significant changes. And this is when most of the symptoms will start to occur. And women will actually lose most of their estrogen and go down to 1% of the estrogen that they had in the perimenopausal time during menopause. And Kristen, what are some of those symptoms that you just mentioned? So somebody classified menopausal symptoms as over 100 symptoms, pretty much no systems. We have have 12 systems in medicine. Um, You know, we have the skin system, kidneys, liver, lung, heart, and it pretty much affects every single system. So the, the most classic symptom that women associate with menopause is usually vasomotor symptoms or those hot flashes. But more and more, we're starting now to see women have mood changes, irritability, insomnia is a really big one. Night sweats before the hot flashes come about is a pretty big one. Lots of skin changes, sexual changes, libido changes. Hair loss is another really big one. So the symptoms are just plentiful and um, pretty much no system is, is without some sort of symptom. Michelle, you say that menopause is not one size fits all, but unfortunately, most doctors treat it that way. How should we be approaching this time in our lives? Great question. So really, this summer lives, it you need to get down on a diagnostic level to really see everyone has different levels. Their, their TSH, their progesterone, their estrogen, their DHEA, their cortisol. So you can't just give everyone the same estrogen patch. Everyone has a different DNA makeup. They metabolize things differently. Some women may need supplements. Some women may need absolutely nothing at all. So that's why at Femgevity, we've brought everything down to a concierge medical approach. So everyone has a personalized treatment plan. Everyone, there's no one size fits all for every single woman because everyone has different symptoms and a combination of how they're feeling. Kristen, what types of tests should a woman have during this time? So definitely, I love to get baseline hormone testing on every single woman in their late 30s. A lot of times, we don't always have that opportunity. So sometimes we're only really seeing women when they're symptomatic, which is kind of towards the middle to end of the menopausal period, so to speak. But definitely 100% a hormone, a full complementary hormone panel, along with general annual blood work that's done when you go to your regular doctor, Um, you know, like hemoglobin A1C, homocysteine level, CRP, CBC, chemistry, these types of things. 
We at Femgevity, we do offer precision medicine testing, and this is really helpful testing that you know isn't for everyone because of the additional cost. A lot of times it's not covered by insurance, but our precision medicine testing includes micronutrient testing, oxidative stress, omega acids, fatty acids, essential um, amino acids. We also do allergy testing, gut microbiome testing, and genomic testing, all with uh, AI-powered technology. Menopause is a time that many women really dread. We've been trained to dread this throughout our lives. But Michelle, some cultures view menopause as a second spring. They believe that it's a special time in a woman's life. Would you agree with that? And if yes, why? Yes, I do. Menopause is actually a rebirth. Um, It's you know, you could redefine your aging and your timeline and your lifespan during this stage in your life. You know, in your 20s, it's one stage where you're young and kind of, you know, you, your body doesn't really have any limitations. Um, 30s is really where their marriage happens and you're preparing for childbirth and 40 as your children grow and as you're really devoting yourself and all your time and energy to your family and bringing your kids everywhere and your health. A little lacks a little bit behind and that's really when you start entering into these stages and you and you feel differently and you think maybe it's just from running around or because I'm getting older and it's it's really not you know I was um actually reading an article this past weekend where it was talking about you could have the best sex of your life starting in your 50s right so mm-hmm. and and women forget that you could feel your best and feel like you were the way you did in your 20s and you know, your your body can, can bounce back because your your body depletes of hormones and you need to bring them back in. And that's just a rebirth of, of your body and your health and you focusing on yourself. Michelle, tell us a little bit more about Femgevity. Why did you start this company and what do you hope to achieve? So Kristen and I founded Femgevity because we've both been in, you know, Kristen's been a practitioner and I've been in the clinical diagnostic lab side um, my entire career. And we, we both have seen this huge gap in women's health care. And we wanted to create a value. And the only way to really make a difference in women's health care is disruption. Um, disruption based on how women are being provided care, what they're being offered, and how they're being offered it in an innovative way. You know, we offer this hormone balancing through menopause management, and in that will be a natural organic cycle into our feminine longevity. So I have a personal history, too, with my mom that she passed away at the age of 51, where she actually thought some of her bleeding and spotting was due to menopause symptoms because that's what, you know, one of the things that women are, are trained and the lack of education and what doctors say. And, you know, it really inspired to create a legacy moving forward of women to be educated and have a community based on what is normal and what's not on our body and how we should go about changing it and, and feeling differently. And Kristen, what do you want women to know about menopause? So really the way a woman goes through menopause is going to affect her long-term longevity. And we can use lab diagnostic information, like Michelle said, to identify how to effectively balance a woman through menopause so that she can get the right treatments and the right support and the right supplements that are going to then end up prolonging her longevity from a cardiovascular, a neurodegenerative, and a metabolic disease perspective. That's really really, really important to Michelle and I that we're able to kind of get that message across that it's not just suffer through it. It's not just, well, let me just delay treatment for as long as possible because I don't want to go on hormones. Estrogen isn't a one size fits all. And it's something that we really want to encourage women to get their hormones done, get baseline testing done and seek treatment for this time in their life. And Kristen, what are a few things that a woman can do to help alleviate menopausal symptoms? So the number one thing that a woman can do is to get testing done because without, you know, I want to give you an example, a personal example. So I did a genomic insight. I did a diagnostic test on myself about uh, my DNA and turmeric and curcumin is actually harmful to me. It downregulates certain genes that I have. And so right now we kind of have all of this information and all these studies out there about adaptogens and about supplements, like what's good for you. But unless you really get down to that diagnostic level and you understand what's really going to be helpful for you, and then also 
using that diagnostic information, you can actually treat a woman less because you can use certain genes and certain certain epigenetics in her DNA that are going to enable her to kind of use the different aspects of her own personal biometrics to make her treatments more effective and more efficient. Michelle, do you think personalized medicine is the way of the future? 1,000%. I absolutely agree with that. Um, I feel medicine in, in the U.S is lacking and it's behind and it's dated and um, really the only way to catch up medicine with personalization is AI type genomic testing as Kristen just said with the epigenetics and the nutrigenomics and to get these treatment plans based on your DNA and what's going on with your gene expression. Kristen, if a woman wants to work with longevity, what is the process? That's a great question. So they go to our website at longevityhealth.com. And then right now we're offering a 10-minute free consult. So if they want to kind of just get that personalized care right off the bat, they're able to do that. If they know for sure they need help and they want to book a consultation right away, they're able to do that on our website too. The initial consultation is usually about 40 to 50 minutes long. We take a very comprehensive health history, including a family history. And then we're able to figure out what lab testing is best for that specific patient. And like I said, we offer a complementary range of laboratory testing, some covered by insurance, which is the basic stuff that you get in an annual visit, and also hormone testing. Most of that's covered by insurance. And then we have our other tests, which unfortunately at this time are not covered by insurance, but this lets us get really deep allergy testing, gut microbiome testing, genetic testing, and a micronutrient testing. And we kind of talk to the woman about what she wants for herself at that time. And, and sometimes it's like Rome wasn't built in a day. You know, we just start with the hormone balancing. And then, you know, six months later, we, we go into something else. And some women want to do everything all at once. And then once the labs come back, we have a follow-up appointment, usually one to two weeks later. And we give them the customized treatment plan based on their information, their symptoms, and their family history. And Kristen, while we're talking about menopause, is it a good idea for younger women to get a baseline of these tests? Absolutely, Joan. So I really recommend women getting a baseline of their hormones, at least in their 30s. If they can in their 20s, that's even better because they're going to know how they feel when we have those hormone values. So then we can kind of compare and contrast when, they, when their feelings start to change. Okay, well, when you were 31, we had these hormones tested and these are the levels that you were feeling good at the time. So we know we kind of want to match up to where they were feeling good at the time. And, and specifically with longevity medicine testing and precision medicine testing, you know, optimal health can start at any age. The question of how do I optimize my health really can start at any age. And Michelle, where can our listeners go to get more information about Femgevity and your work? They can go to our website, femgevityhealth.com. They could go to our LinkedIn page, um, our social media. Uh, there are a lot of videos up that we just post on just information about the testing and hormones and cancer risks and things like that. And we also have live chats on our website, and um, Kristen and I are very accessible as our medical team and our advisors. And once again, that website is femgevityhealth.com. Michelle and Kristen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joan. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Is your immune system as strong as you would like it to be? Did you ever question if there is something else you can do to build a stronger immune system besides eating right, exercising, and getting plenty of rest? Energy work, such as Reiki, has been proven to help with reducing stress. We know that stress contributes to inflammation within our bodies, which can eventually wreak havoc on our immune system, potentially creating a host of critical health disorders. The purpose of Reiki is to cleanse, balance, and heal the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual bodies. Most of us pay attention to only our physical bodies. If we experience any adverse effects within our physical body, it normally would raise a red flag and we would seek out medical help. On the other hand, most of us are unaware of how much our mental and emotional bodies contribute to the health of our immune system. For instance, did you ever consider that unresolved anger over long periods of time can cause an unhealthy response in our liver. Our energetic systems must be in balance in order to create a harmonious 
increase vibration, which then contributes to the overall health of our immune system. Why not consider monthly Reiki sessions for yourself and begin working on your immune system? Hi, this is Roxanne D'Angelo, a certified Reiki master. If you would like more information, you can reach me on the web at crystalclearenergies.com. An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. If you want to stand out as a great guest who is remembered, celebrated, and gets invited back, you need to give the host and listeners what they want while communicating with confidence and charisma. Hi, this is Joan Herman. After years on air, I can tell within minutes if a conversation will be stimulating or not being prepared with a compelling message makes all the difference in my training program it's your time to shine i provide valuable information that will empower you to make the most of any media appearance you work hard to get the booking so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation to learn more visit joanherman.com slash media training that's joanherman.com slash media training productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach On Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining us today is Doreen Steenland, an ICF certified coach who uses neuroscience in coaching to harness the power of our brains. As a transformational neuro coach, Doreen changes brains one thought at a time. Doreen is the founder of Living Full Life Coaching. She is here today to discuss triggers for threats and rewards in your brain. Welcome, Doreen. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. So, Doreen, how does the brain detect threats and rewards? Okay, well, there's, there's really five domains that affect whether we receive stimuli as a threat or clock that, that stimuli as a reward. And I'm going to go to um, Dr. David Rock's uh, uh, SCARF acronym. And there's these five areas that when we, when we are threatened in any way, um, will send us into almost a fight, flight, or freeze response. So one of the first areas is the S in SCARF, and it's status. If your sense of personal worth or status is threatened, right, it sends us into a fight, flight, or freeze mode in the brain. Um, on the flip side, if, if we build someone's status up, it gives us a little hit of dopamine, right, and, and triggers a reward. The, the second domain that we, we look at is the C, and that stands for certainty. It's a sense of what the future holds for us. So we've noticed all of us during this time of COVID that there's been so much uncertainty between COVID and recession and all of the financial things, there's an uncertainty, and it causes us to react in a stressful, uh, a fight, flight, or freeze response. Whereas when we're going into a meeting and we can outline what's going to happen before we get there for, for the people in the meeting, it really helps to calm down the, the whole fight, flight, or freeze response. The A in SCARF is autonomy. We all need a sense of control over our lives, right? We all want that sense of control. And when that is threatened, obviously, it, you, your brain doesn't know the difference whether it's a real threat of, to your physical harm or it's just a threat of losing control over the situation. The R stands for relatedness, and that's a sense of safety with others, right? How safe do you feel in, in the office that you're in right now? How safe do you feel in the meeting? All of these things work to either increase the threat in our brain or activate rewards. And the last but not least, and I think we can all relate to this in some way, even young kids can relate to this, is the F for fairness. We all want to be treated fairly, right? And when we're not, especially our kids, they notice that somebody's piece of pie is a little bit bigger than theirs, and it's a threat to them, right? Are there markers we can use to determine this? Yeah, I mean, these scarf domain here, um, all of these five things are markers that we can be on the lookout for 
we could be on the lookout for which ones of these five markers, status, certainty, autonomy, relatedness, or fairness, is is a weak area for us. Which area do we react and feel threatened when it's challenged? And so each of us can, can be on the lookout for these markers. So when we understand these markers, what happens? Well, it gives us a little more um, control over our life, a little more autonomy, right? Because we can notice that this might not be a real threat, but our body is telling us there there is a threat here. So we can do little techniques to calm ourselves down and get us back to a regulated place where we are are able to think clearly and react um, with clarity and focus instead of the state that we get into when we are in a threat mode. It causes us to feel foggy. It causes us to lose focus. It causes us to um, not think clearly and react in ways that that the patterns that we have chosen in the past to react in, which might not be helpful in the situation. Right. And I think that's the key, that we can become more in control of the way we are reacting and responding as opposed to it being that automatic knee-jerk reaction. Yes. We do not need to be a victim to um, our circumstances. We can really learn to become mindful of what's happening inside us and, and learn to, to um, really get ourselves balanced again and back to that place of regulation. This is something that can benefit any one of us. And so if you would like to learn more about this topic or Doreen and her work, you can visit livingfulllifecoaching.com. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital articles, check out our team and book club, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow us on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.